0: Hey there, GPSers, and welcome back to another edition of the GPS Podcast where all of your podcast dreams come true. I hope that you are doing well whenever and wherever you are. We are journeying through a series that we're calling a gospel life, a 90-day journey with Jesus. And technically we have finished that series. But we are going to keep with this theme of journeying with Jesus by specifically focusing on the resurrection of Jesus, the Easter promise and reality of following Jesus, that having the promise of resurrection and the promise of Easter is central to keep in mind as we try to journey with Jesus. And so we're going to be focusing on some resurrection texts during this month, and today I want to look at a passage in Mark 16 verses 1 through 8. Mark 16 verses 1 through 8. Or in light of some other festivities of this morning, I'll give you a couple seconds to hop on over to Mark chapter 16 starting in verse 1. There we read, when the Sabbath was over, The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the significance of this day and the way in which it gives us hope, the way it changes our entire view of the world. And I pray that you would give me a word that is faithful this morning to who you are that's faithful to who you're calling us to be. And so I ask that you would pour through me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and we would be transformed by it more into the image of your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I decided to run a marathon. Yes, I was in my right mind when I made this decision. I had ran a few races up to that point in my life, a couple shorter races like a 5k and a 10k, but there on the horizon I had always said I wanted to do a marathon at some point in my life and I wasn't getting any younger and so I decided I would go ahead and do it. And so in the fall of 2016 I began training for a marathon in January of 2017. And part of my training regimen was to Rest well and to eat well and to train well. But I also talked to people who had run a marathon before, and one of the biggest pieces of advice from them was to end well, to finish well. They said that it was going to inevitably be in the actual day of the race some moments when I wanted to quit or when I would get tired, but it was critical for me, as a racer, to end well. And that's this phrase that I kept hearing from so many runners who had done this 26.2 mile adventure before. And that bit of advice from these runners has continued to swirl in my mind in different arenas of life that I have found myself in. That the more and more I have observed different aspects of my life, I have observed how often people want things to end well. If you think about sports, we love when a game ends with that last second buzzer beater. Or that last minute Hail Mary that completely changes the game. That's why often what you will hear people say during sporting competitions is it's not over Until it's over. You think about movie watchers and TV watchers. There is always this great anticipation for that last episode in a series or that last movie in a trilogy that that people get passionate about, so much so that they say things like, Do not tell me how it ends, no spoiler alerts, please, because we want things to end well we have history buffs and often great figures in history are studied and written about and very often what happens with these different historical figures is that people want to know how their life ended what were their last words did they end their life well there are all these different aspects of our life where we want stories to end well we want lives to end well and sometimes we can be a bit disappointed when they don't. Because we all have assumptions about what it means to end well. One of the first movies that taught me about what a good ending should look like, that formed a lot of my assumptions about ending well, was the movie The Wizard of Oz. If you haven't seen the movie, then I'm about to give a spoiler, but... You've also had over 80 years to watch the movie, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Dorothy, at the very end of the movie, says this phrase over and over and over again. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And then she wakes up to find that she was home. And it's this nice, neat, and tidy conclusion to her journey. And what was formed in me through that one movie that I'm guessing has been formed in a lot of others is this expectation of how stories should end well. We want things to end on a good note. We want the loose ends to tie together. We want closure. We want there to be a sense of things being final. That, for so many of us, is what a good ending is all about. Happily ever after. And when you read the Gospels, it seems that most of those writers got this note about what a good ending looks like. If you turn to Matthew, there's this beautiful command and promise of Jesus where he promises, "'Surely I am with you to the end of the age.'" And you can almost see the scene closing and the screen going black and there's this good ending feeling at the end of Matthew's Gospel. You flip over to Luke and there's this wonderful scene of Jesus promising the Holy Spirit. And then as Jesus ascends out of sight, the disciples are pictured there in joy and worship. Again, that's a good ending. Turn over to John and there John records that touching and memorable story of Jesus redeeming Peter, bringing him back into a position of leadership after he had denied Jesus. Again, that's a good ending. These three gospel writers seem to get what a good ending looks like. They know how to bring a story to a close. They leave us with these nice and neat and tidy finishes on the story of Jesus. But then we turn over to the gospel of Mark. And I wonder if he got the memo about good endings. Because I read the last words of his gospel and a part of me wonders what went wrong with Mark. Because after 16 fast-paced chapters filled with immediately, 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 filled with all of these vivid descriptions and sharp phrases, with all of these stories building momentum, we are ready at the end of Mark for this big finish. And there at the end of Mark, we read this, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, please come while we stand and sing. I mean, it just doesn't feel like the climactic ending that we expect. It just doesn't feel like the right ending is there. Mark's gospel kind of feels like a track sprinter who bolts out of the gate with quickness and he sustains the pace until the very end and then he all of a sudden pulls a hamstring and barely limps over the finish line. Trembling, and bewildered. Fear and silence fleeing from the scene. This seems like a strange, odd ending. And it feels very different than the other Gospels. Because, in fact, it is a very different Gospel ending. What's really interesting about Mark's Gospel that's different than all other three Gospels is that in Mark we never see the resurrected Jesus show back up. In the first three Gospels mentioned earlier, we see Jesus show back up as the resurrected Christ, but then we get to Mark and he never does that. Jesus never shows up to the women or the disciples or Peter. The angel tells the women that they will see him, but we never actually see him. Instead, the gospel ends with a picture of these women running scared and silent away from the turning point in human history. This seems like an odd way to end a gospel. And we're not the first ones to be puzzled by this odd ending in Mark. If you have your Bible in front of you, then you'll likely see that some translations have a break or some brackets that have a little more added to the story of Mark. And the reason for this addition is those 12 verses were added simply because those early Christians who read the gospel of Mark got to the end of their scroll and they thought the very same thing that we think. The gospel couldn't end here. There must be more. And so they took a little from the other Gospels and Acts and they added a bit more to kind of round things off a bit and tidy up this apparent mess. But if you go back to the earliest manuscripts, the ones closest to the time of Jesus, they all end with verse 8. And that's why I think personally that things are supposed to end right here with the women trembling and afraid and in silence fleeing from the tomb even though that seems like a very strange and odd ending. I think all of those other additions to the end of Mark, those extra 12 verses that we see in our Bibles, is a result of the earliest Christians feeling something that we all feel. That this ending with verse 8 pushes against our sensibilities about how stories should end much less how Gospels should end. Because the story ends messy, it ends unfinished, and it's seemingly incomplete and open-ended. And so there's this impulse in me that I have to sit Mark down and just flat-out ask him, I mean, what are you thinking, Mark, ending the Gospel in such a strange place? Have you not gotten the memo from the other Gospel writers about how stories end well? Do you not know that you're supposed to wrap a bow up on things and leave us satisfied as the reader? Mark, maybe you should get a subscription to Netflix where you can learn how stories should end well. Draw things to a close, Mark. Put a bow on it. Because when the ending comes, then it needs to be finished. That's what endings are all about. So, Part of me wonders. Maybe Mark didn't get the memo. Maybe Mark just messed up. Maybe Mark doesn't understand how endings are supposed to work. Maybe. Or maybe Mark knows exactly what he's doing. Maybe Mark does what he does, ends how he ends, because he has a completely different view of endings in light of the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe Mark's world has been so turned upside down by the resurrection of Jesus, this man who died and was buried and raised from the dead, that Mark cannot look at anything quite the same way again. Because when you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, when you believe that God initiated something new and beautiful through this one event, When you believe that a man who was dead has been raised to life, then you cannot look at things the same way. Because all of a sudden, that which seems right side up is upside down, and that which appears upside down seems right side up. All of a sudden, things that seem to be finished and ready to come to a close all of a sudden appear filled with possible new beginnings. This is why I can't blame the women for how they react in Mark 16. You know, so often we read these stories with a sense of enlightenment because we think that we would have reacted better and differently. But can you imagine what it must have been like for these women, not just to lose a friend, but to lose the source of your entire view of faith? To see the person who you believed in so deeply, crushed and crucified and buried. Can you imagine what it must have been like to walk to the tomb after a Sabbath of grief and to walk with that smell of early morning and spices filling your nose while your eyes were still wet with tears of grief? And to be in such grief that you're not even sure how you're going to get the stone out of the way to get to the dead body to give it a proper burial. Can you imagine looking up and seeing the stone rolled back and going inside that dark, rocky tomb and to be encountered with a messenger from heaven and a message from heaven that the one who was dead and buried is now alive. What must it have been like for those women who first encounter that life-transforming message? What must it have been like to emerge from the tomb just as Jesus did and to not be able to look at the world the same way ever again everything you once thought about how the world worked is now all of a sudden turned upside down of course you would be terrified of course you would be afraid of course you would have run from the scene because you're not just running from the empty tomb but you're running from all of the implications of the empty tomb Because all of a sudden, that which seems right side up is upside down. And that which appears to be upside down seems right side up. All of a sudden, things that seem to be finished and ready to come to a close all of a sudden appear filled with possible new beginnings. You see, I think Mark ends his gospel right here at verse 8 because he is communicating something to us that he has been communicating since the very first line of his gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I think that opening verse of Mark is not just about what he immediately writes about John the Baptist, but he is making a statement about what is going to be said over the next 16 chapters. That everything he writes from that point on about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection is only the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so when we get to Mark 16, verse 8, we are not reaching the end of the end, but the end of the beginning. Things are just getting started for Mark. Because Mark knows that resurrection means that where some people may see endings, we see possible beginnings by the power of God. Resurrection means that where some may see endings, we see possible beginnings by the power of God. And so we finish up this gospel knowing that the story is far from over, because it's a story that continues to ripple out through people who believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And Mark is pushing us to be the kinds of people in the world who see and live with this Conviction that we are called to not just believe in the resurrection, but also to be people of the resurrection. One of the most influential writers of the 20th century for Christians is a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. Now, many of you probably know his story of how much of his life he lived as an atheist, but through a series of events, converted to become a Christian. And in honor of his life and work, Lewis was given a special stone placed in Poet's Corner on Westminster Abbey. And on that stone, there is a quote describing a central conviction of his that I think is a beautiful sentiment for us on Easter Sunday. This is the quote of Lewis. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. His quote reminds us of what it means to be a people of the resurrection, a people who see and live differently in the world. That we live with the belief that even though the world sees an ending, even though the world sees something that appears to have come to an end, we see that there is a possible new beginning there waiting by the power of God. Even though... Some people may look and see an ending. Some people may look and think think things have come to an end. To believe in the resurrection means that we believe that new life can still happen. That in the midst of death, life can still bubble up. That by the power of God, a new life beginning can start. About a month ago, I was talking to a friend in another state and he was sharing with me some challenges that his marriage had recently been going through. He said that his marriage had been on the rocks for a while and there had been some moments recently where he did not think that they were going to make it. He thought that his marriage might be coming to an end. And so, this couple had ended up having an unexpected and unplanned late-night conversation about everything. And my friend told me that with the help of some counseling, he now thinks that they are going to make it. He said that that conversation was a breakthrough for them, that they are now moving to a better place. He said that they are trying to be resurrection people. People who are trying to see and live with the conviction that where some may see endings, we see new beginnings. Their story is not over yet. I'm reminded of a church in another part of the country that was about to close its doors. And so this church brought in a church consultant to help guide them through this transition, to help them die well as a church. And it was a wealthy older congregation, and so the church consultant had advised them that they needed to throw a celebration party to end well. And so he said to take whatever money that they had left in their accounts, and it wasn't much, but to to throw a block party, just to say thank you to the community and to say goodbye together, to bring things to an end. And so on the day of the block party, the church got inflatables and they had hot dogs and they threw a party for the neighborhood around them. And it was a neighborhood that had been changing over the last few years. But on the day of the party, a crazy thing happened. There was an apartment complex just across the street that unknowns to the members had a ton of single mothers who showed up that day with their kids And as the afternoon developed, these older members began to talk with these mothers and kids, and by the end of the party, the moms and kids were asking when they could come back. So the church met again the next week, and it met the next week. And over time, those mothers and kids became like grandkids and grandchildren to these older members. The church didn't close down. Resurrection happened in that place. What they thought was an ending all of a sudden became a new beginning. These are the kinds of people we're called to be. People who live with the conviction and who live into the conviction that resurrection can still happen. I like the way Eugene Peterson says it. He says, The church is those people who practice the resurrection of Christ in the country of death. What a good word for us in this strange season in which we find ourselves. Because in a very real way, it feels like we're surrounded by death and difficulty and despair. And those are really potent realities that swirl around us and we shouldn't ignore them or deny the power that they have. And yet we also believe in a power that is greater because of the resurrection of Jesus. And we should lean into this core of our faith now more than ever as we walk through the world. Because that's who the church is called to be. We're called to be those people who practice the resurrection of Christ in the country of death. We can live with hope and possibility. We can live with open eyes to see where God might show up next because resurrection means that where some people may see endings, we see new beginnings by the power of God. Mark's gospel story is not over and your gospel story is not over. And that is good news.